Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Perkyevos podcast with Rabbi Shlomo Kohn, where we live with the ethics of the Torah. If you have any questions, comments, you'd like to say hello and tell me how you like this podcast, please feel free to send me an email at Rabbi Shlomo Kohn with a K at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Additionally, if you like this podcast, you might also like my other podcasts on the Parsha of the Week and Positive Perspectives by Shlomo. You can search for it by looking for the Practical Parsha podcast and by searching for Positive Perspectives by Shlomo. For this week, we continue with Chapter 1, Mishnah 5. Parak Aleph, Mishnah Hay. In this week's Mishnah, we begin with Yossi ben Yochanan. And it's a continuation because in la the last Mishnah was the teaching of Yossi ben Yoezer. And for the next few Mishnayis, we're going to be having pairs that each one of the, I guess, the leaders of the generation had. There was a Nasi and a, and a Av Beizdin. I guess the Nasi was like the leader and the Av Beznin was the head of the rabbinical court. And they're going to be teaching different lessons. So we had already the, the teaching of Yossi Ben Yoezer, which was to um, that your house, that your house should be a gathering place for the sages and you should sit in the dust of their feet and you should drink in the words thirstily. In this Mishnah, we continue with Yossi ben Yo Yochanan, who is the Av Beisden. The Mishnah begins. Yossi ben Yochanan, Yishushalayim Omer. Yossi ben Yochanan, the man of Yushalayim, said, Let your house be open wide. You aniyim b'nei treat the poor as members of your household. and do not con converse excessively with the woman. amru, they said this even about one's own wife. surely it applies to another's wife as well. Mikan amru chachamim. From here, the sages say, whoever converses excessively with the woman, causes evil to himself, and he, he neglects his Torah study, and in the end, he will, he will uh, inherit Gehenna, which is purgatory. So it's um seems a little bit harsh in the Mishnah as if you look at it at first glance. So we started off, I want to break up this Mishnah into two different parts. You have the first part of the Mishnah, which is talking about that your house should be open and the poor should be treated as members of your household. And then I want to break the, the next part of the Mishnah, which is the third teaching that do not converse excessively with women and the outcomes that come with it. So we have two parts. The first part is about opening your house wide. 
treating poor people respectfully and properly as if they're part of your family. And the second part of the Mishnah is going to be dealing with this idea of excessive conversation with women and the pitfalls that could come out from that. And if you really look at it, it seems a little bit harsh. A person is this um, seems like, well, if you talk to your wife, it's not a good thing. Um, so I want to just explain it in two parts. Just before we begin, I want to give a little background here that, as I mentioned before, Yossi ben Yochanan and Yossi ben Yoezer, they were the two leaders of their time. So we already learned about the, the teaching of Yossi ben Yoezer, which was last time in last episode. And this, for this podcast, for this week, what we're discussing Yossi ben Yochanan. And Yossi ben Yochanan was the Av Beisdin. He was the leader of the rabbinical court. And uh, just a little bit of a connection, which I saw from this, from the teaching of Yossi ben Yoezer to the teaching of Yossi ben Yochanan, is that it seems that Yossi, Yossi ben Yoezer, he encouraged the, as the spiritual leader of the Jewish people, he encouraged all the, the, the people and the leaders of the people and the wealthy individuals to have that commitment to Torah. He said, open up your houses for the, for the sages. And that's because that was his job. He was, he was responsible for the spiritual welfare of the people to make sure the level stayed at a certain level to lead the people in the correct direction. Yossi ben Yochanan was the leader of the court. And being the leader of the court, he came across many situations with people, their problems, their issues. And someone in a position like that would have a firsthand view of the different challenges people would be facing. And therefore, the connection here, he's telling us, his, his focus is telling us, keep your door wide open, treat poor people properly. And because a person could think to himself that after having the lesson of Yossi ben Yoezer, who teaches us to, to, to strengthen your house for Torah study, to open up your house for the scholars, you'd think maybe there's not a place for the, for the poor people. We're going to forget about them. You could say to yourself that maybe a person said, I'm opening up my house for the scholars and I'm focusing on that. And God forbid they could forget about the needs of the needy in their community. And therefore, as the Av Bezdin, he's telling everybody, don't forget the poor people. Don't forget the people who need help. And he was someone who most likely was dealing with the issues of the people on a daily basis as somebody who was the leader of the rabbinical court. And that's why he is focusing on the, this message. Now, if we let's look at the first statement of Yossi ben Yochanan. He said as follows, Let your house be wide open. Let it be open wide. And if you look at the Rav, he explains that a person should make himself accessible, that his home should be open for people to come in. Doesn't mean open people to come in and steal your stuff. It means that people who they need something, they should come to you. They should be able to come. And the Rav brings down the, the famous um, Medrash that Avramovinu, the Abraham, his tent had doors on all four sides to show people, to signify to people, to individuals and to, to the masses that his tent was open, it was accessible. People should come in if they need something. Now, some commentaries explain as well that it's not just 
having a door open. The Tiferes Yisrael brings down that he explains this word, Pasuach Laravcha, that when Yossi ben Yochanan tells us that our houses should be open, open wide, Laravcha means open wide, he translates the, he translates the word Ravcha as open for relief. That people should be comfortable to seek your address if they need comfort, if they need physical help, if they need emotional help, if they need financial help, if they need advice, they should have the ability to access you. They should feel comfortable to come to you, to speak to you, to ask for something. And according to the Tefers Yisrael, that's what the Mishnah is telling us here. That's what Yossi ben Yochanan is teaching us, that people should be not afraid to approach us, to not be intimidated. They should be comfortable around us. And that's something, a indispensable asset that people can have for themselves, a, a character trait. You know, it's not just having an open house on a literal sense. It's also about being that type of person that others can come to you and to ask you for stuff. I, I know sometimes I, I've heard it being said before that one of the ways you can gauge a friendship to determine how good of a, of a friend you have or how good of a friend you are is by the ability you have to ask that individual for help, for someone to reach out to you. How comfortable do people feel to reach out to you for something? Do you feel comfortable to reach out to others? And the, the sense of that comfortability is a determination of how good of a friend you are to someone else. Because ultimately, what are friends for? What's the purpose of friendship? It just, you know, obviously there's a certain element to not, show, people shouldn't be lonely, but that's not the ultimate purpose of friendship. But one of the main benefits of friendship is that we're not in it alone. We have others that can help us. We have people who we can reach out to. And to me, a lot of times, that's my uh, barometer as to is someone a good friend or not? Can I just reach out to him for a, for a favor, even though I haven't spoken to him for a few years? And I'm sure we all have people that we haven't spoken to in a while. It could be more than a few years, could be 10 years, but we, we, feel, we feel comfortable to ask them because they're, that's a true friendship. Because you could, could be 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, you have that bond, you have that certain sense of togetherness, and there's that comfortability that you've created that you're able to approach the other and ask them for help, whether it be advice, whether it be just emotional support, whether it even be for money, right? And I, I feel like that's what the Mishnah is telling us, that the first step to, to I guess, being aware of the needs of others is making yourself approachable, making people feel comfortable around you, making people, you know, so, you know, next time someone asks you for something and you're like, oh, they, this is the fifth time already they're asking me, you should think to yourself, that's a compliment on you. 
That means people are not afraid to approach you. You're a very easy person. You're a very um, approachable person. And, you know, don't think of it as an annoyance if people ask you for things, because it's, it means that you as an individual, as a friend, people feel the ability to come to you and to, to ask you for things that they need. And that's really the first step in being able to help somebody is knowing that there's an issue, right? That if someone, sh someone should feel that they could share with you, because if you don't know there's an issue to help someone else out, how are you able to, to solve a situation? So the Mishnah, Yossi ben Yochanan is telling us our houses, which is in, in, in a literal sense, but also doesn't have to be literally our houses, but people should feel comfortable to approach us and to share with us whatever their needs might be. The second thought that Yossi ben Yochanan shares with us in the Mishnah is view aniyim b'nei ve'isecha that the poor should be as members of our household. And the, the first, on the simple understanding, the way to, uh, to look at this Mishnah is that the Mishnah is giving us an insight that when, when someone comes to our house, we should treat them properly. And I want to get back to that in a minute, but the Mishnah is telling us that when poor people do come, when we make people feel comfortable, when we do that step one, so now when it gets to step two and people are coming to us and people are, are, you know, they're coming to our house for food, for support, for advice, we should make them feel as if they're part of our family and make them feel comfortable. I'm going to get back to that in a, in a moment. I wanted just to look at another answer that's given as when it says you, Ani and Veneve Sacha, that the poor should be as members of your household. And the Rav explains that this is referring to hiring and buying Jewish. What does that mean? So when the Mishnah says that the poor people should be the members of your household, it means that when you hire domestic help, you should try to support Jewish laborers. You know, it's, it's very common. I think anyone can understand, right? You see many times you buy a product made in the USA and it's in big letters. It's, on the, it's very prominent and from, in, on, the, on the package of a product. Because people, the idea that the manufacturers are trying to promote is that us as Americans, we should feel a certain sense of affinity to American businesses, that we should want to support American businesses first, and therefore it'll help us, it'll help them choose that product over the foreign competition. And there's legislation even that every product that's made in the United, that any product that we get has to say where it's from, a country of origin. We have to know where things come from. And it's, it's, it's understandable to us why companies put that on there. And you could even take it a step further. You know, I've seen many times different products. It says um, a woman-owned business. It'll list on the product, owned by women. Or you'll see a different time, it'll say this is a black-owned business or a minority-owned business. And the idea is, is that this is a certain sense of uh, camaraderie that people have um, you know, whether it be for women or they want to support certain uh, groups. So it's understandable that people put that, I guess, branding on a product. So for us as Jews, we should also have that in mind that we should want to support Jewish businesses, right? Our, our brothers, we, you know, the family first is expression. And obviously there's, there's laws in Shulchan Aruch and the code of Jewish law 
regarding as to when a person is allowed to go to a different, you know, you don't always have to go to the Jewish business if it's going to cost you more, if it's not so good, it's not as good. There's different situations where it's, it's, there's exemptions. But in our minds, you know, putting the halachic part of this aside, we should try to, to use and to support Jewish institutions and Jewish businesses. Now, and, and at, at the very least, we should make sure that if we, you know, even if we have our reason why we decide where we're not doing using a, a, a Jewish institution, Jewish business, but we shouldn't um, trash talk any other um, business, a Jewish business, or, for sure, because if a person does that, they could potentially causing that um, business or institution a loss of money. If I, for example, say that I don't like this Jewish brand of ketchup, so then you're going to hear that, you know, fine, you could like your Heinz ketchup better than the other brand, this Jewish brand of ketchup. But y- you're causing, if you're going to hear that, you're going to cause this person who sells the the Jewish brand of ketchup or whatever else it is to, to not go to it. You're not going to buy it. I might like Heinz, but, but either way, the point is, is that this is one of the lessons of the Mishnah to have to try to support Jewish causes. Now, just going back to the, to the first idea, which I wanted to share, is that when the Mishnah said, that the Aniyim, the poor people, should be as members of your household, we are stressing the fact that when, when we when we invite these poor people to come to our house, many times, you know, obviously a person could, you know, not treat people properly, could push away the needs of others. They could say, I'm doing people a favor. I'm doing them a favor. I'm giving them a free meal. So I can do whatever I want. And it's it's very important to remember that when it comes to, you know, the other, the, the, the people who are a little bit less fortunate, and even people we are helping, you can never um, decrease the honor or never walk on other people just because you're doing something for someone else. You always have to treat people as if they're your own family. And, and I would like to take that a little step further because if, if your family would be in a situation where they would need something from someone else, your family member, your loved one, your child, your sister, your brother, is is in a situation where they need to come on to somebody. How would you want them to be treated in that individual's house? Would you want them to be walked upon? Would you want them to be not treated respectfully? Or would you want them to be given the time of day, to be given that dignity, to be given that respect? And I think maybe the Mishnah could mean this as well, that you know we should think about how we would want our family members to be treated if they were God forbid, in that same situation that these poor people approaching us now, right? When these people are coming to our house, how do we look at them? How do we how do we um, treat them? And this is really an important lesson because, you know, sometimes we look at people and we make assumptions based on their socio not I can't even pronounce the word socioeconomic status, or we'll make a judgment call based upon how they look. Or, their, or how they speak, how they present themselves. And it's really not fair. You know, sometimes we do it, it's natural. Sometimes we do it, we want to protect ourselves, but really always have to treat people properly and, and, with, a, and with, a degree, with a proper degree of respect. 
And there's actually a famous story that's brought down. The, the Beis HaLevi was a great rabbi who lived in the early 1900s. He's considered the father of the yeshiva movement to a certain degree. The, the way that they study the Talmud in, in the yeshiva system is based primarily off of the, the work of the Beis HaLevi and his disciples, his children and disciples, how they, how they deciphered the Talmud and back and forth and questions. But he was a, a great, great scholar, a very pious individual. And he lived in the city of Brisk, which is in Lithuania. And there's a story that's told that he was once traveling, and this is obviously before the days where there was it's common pictures and, and videos. There's no videos in those times. The pictures maybe they had, but it was not common. People didn't know how other people looked, really. A great rabbi today, we know how all the great rabbis look. We know how people look. We see pictures. We see everybody on Zoom or this or that. We, we know how we have TV, we have media, right? In those times, it was not common. They didn't see how people looked. And the Beis HaLevi was traveling around and it, he got caught in a tremendous snowstorm. <clears throat> Not far in the distance, he sees a, a, a inn with a light on. And in the, in the, in the snow and the cold, he makes his way over to the door and, and knocks on the door. And, and this, this big, gruffy person opens the door and he says, what do you want? And he, and he just slams, and he's like, I need a place. He slams the door on him and he knocks again. He says, please, please let me in. Let me in. It's freezing cold. I'm going to die out here. He says, fine. Okay, just come in. And he says, go over here. And he shows him a place where he could uh, sit somewhere in the barn and in, in some dilapidated thing, horrible accommodations. And fine, he's there. Okay, he has a place to stay. Later that night, it seems that this big Hasidic rabbi, the grand rabbi, one of these Hasidic masters, I'm, I'm, I don't remember which one it was, um, is also stuck in the same storm and he knocks up with his aunt. He, he comes with his entourage, the same inn, and the man immediately sees this is a, a distinguished individual. He's coming with, 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 with a whole entourage, a whole posse of people. He immediately welcomes him in. He tells the cook to start making food in the middle of the night. He makes these grand accommodations for him. And as this great Rebbe goes to this other room with a side room where the base Alevi is, he notices that this man is on the floor and he looks at him and he takes one look and he sees that it's the great Beis HaLevi, the great sage and Torah scholar from the city of Brisk, who's sitting on the side in some dilapidated you know, side room of this inn, freezing. And he, and he, and he quickly tells his Hasidim, his, his followers, that there's the great the Beis HaLevi is here and they quickly bring him up and they, 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 they bring him to the head table and they give him food and they give him everything and they give him the proper respect. And the innkeeper who treated this, treated the base of Levi horribly because he thought he was just a regular guy. He, he starts to just to, to quiver. He starts to quiver and he goes over to the base of Levi. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Forgive me. I didn't know you were the base of Levi. And I believe the story ends that he says, you know, to forgive you that for myself, I could forgive you, but what about the other, you know, if I, the fact, what about if I'm not the Beis Alevi? What about the fact that, you know, if, if you wouldn't have found out that I was the Beis Alevi? And it's just a very powerful story because, like we said, many times we make these judgments. We look at people 
And if it would be the same situation and we change the individual who we're trying to, who's quote unquote bothering us, who needs our help, you know? So for this little guy, this little, this little schnook who's asking us for help, we're annoyed, we're bothered. We, we don't want to deal with it. But if it would be, you know, this person who has many more zeros in his bank account, we'd be more than happy to do the same chore, the same job, the same annoyance. It wouldn't be an annoyance for us anymore. And I, and I think this is a, a, a very important lesson the Mishnah is giving us that when it comes to, to dealing with people across the board and especially people who are, you know, you know underprivileged or poor, where we're more likely to trample on them, on their feelings, on their, on, you know, because they, they're not going to stand up for themselves. We have to be extra careful how we treat them to give them the proper respect to make sure they're treated the way that we would want our family members to be treated if they were in, God forbid, the same situation. And when we do that, we are becoming even, you know, we're able to look through the exteriors and really look at someone's neshama, look at the inside, because that's what really truly matters and to give them the truly respected deserve because every individual, every person is created in the image of God. And therefore that in itself deserves a, the greatest level of respect. Now for the second part of the Mishnah is the third teaching of Yossi ben Yochanan, which is which is a person, a person should not converse excessively with the woman. What does that mean? What is the Mishnah teaching us here? And then the Mishnah lists off the bad things that could happen if a person converses too much with women. So as I mentioned, on a simple, on a simple understanding, the Mishnah is teaching us that the importance of boundaries. You know, the first, a person could think to himself, that when it comes to inviting in the poor and bringing people in, so you become you become comfortable with people. Maybe you could even create a certain sense of, of pressure and and um, and a certain amount of stress between a man and his wife. So number one is when a person is opening up his house, he still has to remember this. There's always boundaries, whether that be between him and another stranger who's another woman who's a who's a stranger who's a new person maybe they're becoming part of his family but they still have to have that boundary and even between him and his wife a man and his wife when they're opening up their house and there's this new stress there's this new there's this new dynamic where there's a lot going on and there's good things that are happening there's a mitzvah it's, it's a mitzvah to open up your house to do tzedakah to, to give charity to have people to come in to treat them to have a place to go that he needs to, you know, a person might think to themselves, oh, I'm doing something, uh, you know, good. So therefore I could trample on the, the, the feelings of others. I could, I could override any boundaries that I had. So the mission is telling us here that be careful. You got to set the certain boundaries just because you're doing something good. Doesn't mean that you, you can't, you, you, you have permission to act as, a, as a, how, as how you want to act. There's still a certain level of, of, respect to certain boundaries a person must make for themselves to make sure that they don't get out of line, whether it be with someone else, whether it be with their own wife, to make sure that they're always with that proper respect, that proper, um, that this, the proper uh, setting, and to not get out of line. 
Um, another thought, which I thought was very nice and just a beautiful way of understanding this Mishnah is that when the Mishnah says, me'isha, the Mishnah is giving us a very important insight because, you know, you look at the Mishnah and says, well, a person is not allowed to speak to his wife because the Mishnah, the Mishnah is talking about, seems to be talking about a man with his wife. A person shouldn't speak too much to his wife. What's going on over here? Don't we, doesn't the Torah want people to have good marriages? What should a man do? A man shouldn't speak to his wife all day. He should just say, hello, goodbye, give me supper and have a good night. No, that's not what the Mishnah is telling us. Of course, a person needs to speak to his wife and it's a mitzvah to do that. And every person is different. Every marriage is different. Every couple is different of what they need. Every spouse the, to, to the interaction that each husband and wife need for their unique relationship. But the Mishnah is telling us something very important. That when it comes to our relationship with our wife, it doesn't say do not speak to your wife. It says do not be increase it. Meaning to say is whatever a person needs to do for his marriage, it, it, a person should speak to his wife and, and do what he needs to do. And the spouses should have that relationship. They should, they should interact with each other at the level that's needed for him to have the best possible marriage. But the Mishnah is telling us something very powerful, that the, the point of conversation between husband and wife, and really this leads into a bigger thought, that the point of a relationship between husband and wife is to be constructive. Because if you look at the commentaries, when it says Sicha Imaisha, it's referring to idle chatter. It's not talking about constructiveness. And that's actually the, the, the purpose of marriage is to build a home together, to build a family together. It's constantly building, to build each other. So the Mishnah is telling us, don't belittle your wife by wasting your time on on, 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 on idle conversations that have no purpose. Be constructive because that's demeaning to your wife and that's demeaning to you. Of course, every person, right? Whatever, it can mean, you know, for some pe- people talking about uh, just some, some mundane thing, that's not, that's constructive. But my point is the mission is, tell, is, is cautioning us that when it comes to our relationships and especially with our wives, that we should, realize that it's about being constructive because that's really, if you think about it, what is the point of marriage? When people get married to each other, they're committing themselves to another. And that's really the main difference of people, they live together, but when when, when somebody gets married and live together, they're committing themselves to the other person, hopefully, right? That they're, they're making that eternal bond with that person. So the mission is telling us here when, when, we're, when we're having conversation, when we're having a relationship, it should, about, it should be about building. It shouldn't be about nothingness because all that's going to do is going to lead to the next parts of the Mishnah, which is, is gonna, you're going to go your Amrala Atzim, which is going to cause bad for yourself. You're, you're, you're going to be negligent in Torah study. And this idleness and this frivolness with nothing behind it, that's all fluff, is just going to end with a person going to purgatory. One of my rabbis said to me, so you always want 
your wife wanting more of you, not less of you. The point is, is that the, we, you want to, whenever there's a point where things are not being productive, so, so you know, you, you need to, we need to be cognizant of that, that we always want to, everybody is different. I understand that every couple is different, but the, the mission is giving us an important insight that when it comes to marriage, when it comes to this relationship, we need to be in a situation, it has to be with this outlook of building and, and, and constructiveness, not nothingness, because if it's nothingness, it's just going to end in problems. It's going to end with wasting time. It's going to end with Ne- you know, being negligent in Torah study, right? Which is the ultimate wasting of time. And then the worst of all is that all these things lead a buildup to someone ending up in the wrong places, have making the wrong choices in life, which God forbid could end up with a person going to Gehenum, which is purgatory. When the Mishnah says, it's not talking down to women. It's actually picking up the, the importance of the relationships that we have with the most dear women in our lives, right? Our, our wives. Because if we, if we bring down our relationship to a point where it's just about frivolity and excessiveness and idleness, so then we're demeaning the relationship, which really we need to give the most respect possible to. So even though, you know, on, on the, on the, on the, a person might come to this mission and say, how could the, the rabbis tell us to do this? This is so thousand years ago, this doesn't have any application today. If you focus at the Mishnah and you look at it carefully, like we're studying today, you come to the realization that the Mishnah is really, you know, protecting, protecting the, the dignity of women. It's protecting the, the sanctity of marriage because it's not all about the fluff and, and the excessiveness. It's about constructiveness, building, developing the relationship and strengthening each other. So that's just a few thoughts on this Mishnah. I hope you all enjoyed. If you have any questions or comments, or you would like to ask me a question about this, the thoughts that we just discussed today, please feel free to send me an email at rabbishlomacone with a K at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you.